Good morning, y'all. Happy Saturday. Thanks for tuning in to Turn to Your Teacher and Listen. My name is Liz. I am your resident pre-service teacher and humble host. This week, we will be talking about how we can all write like cats. Listen up. Today, I spent $66 on four children's books. The author's name is Irene Latham, and she writes a variety of books for kids and students. She writes poetry, fiction, historical fiction, and I think she's even penned some nonfiction books. Ms. Latham came to my school and talked with the cohort about how to write like an octopus. The inspiration for her lecture comes from her book, Love, Agnes, Postcards from an Octopus where Agnes learns that misunderstandings can lead to great friends. There were eight steps to writing like an octopus, but I don't remember all of them. So I thought that I would take what I learned from Irene and transform it into my own writing lesson that can be taught in a classroom. Today, we are going to write like a cat. And I know, I know that cats can't hold a pencil or type on a computer, at least not very well, Um, but we're going to approach it metaphorically, writing like a cat. Step one to writing like a cat is to annoy your owner for treats. My cat is very loud and makes it very well known when it is 6 a.m. and I have not given her her T-R-E-A-T-S's. She knows what that word is. She knows that when she hears that word or when she hears the T-R-E-A-T-S drawer opening that it is time for that and she will scream very loudly. I'm sure that there will come an episode when she decides to interrupt me. Uh, She's asleep on my bed right now. But annoying your owner for treats for people translates to say what you want when you want. A cat cannot be reasoned with or told to be quiet, and an author shouldn't either. Irene Latham says to write using your own voice, and even mentioned a writer's social media trend of hashtag own voice. This means to write your truth, Write what you are compelled to explore. Spend time thinking about each and everything that you are writing and why is it meaningful for you? Why is that something that is pulling you in and making you want to write about it? Why is it important? Just to dig a little deeper on this hashtag own voice trend, um, I went and I looked on Twitter for a bunch of good examples of writers expressing their success using their own voice. And Vicki Lan writes said, it's official. I'm now represented by at Gina Pantaridi. Excited to work with her on my strange satirical hashtag own voice mother daughter story set against an alien invasion backdrop. Earth won't know what hit them once we're finished. And if that isn't an example of like using your own voice and things that compel you, I don't know what it is. A mother-daughter team figuring themselves out against an alien invasion backdrop, right up my alley. Dolan said so, our Genevieve said, come on down to the Creole Bayou, sit a spell, not everything bites, hashtag release your inner power, hashtag own voice. Jenna Jane Orion said, I think any and every author should write about what speaks to them. If that happens to be a hashtag own voice narrative, then get it. All writings from the heart are best. 
And I really don't think that I could have said it better than any of those three women who have been signed. They're writing their stories. They're expressing themselves. And just because these are from authors and signed people who have big uh, representatives and agents doesn't mean that our students can't also use their own voice to express what they're going through. And it doesn't have to be something that's clean. It can be something that gets a little bit messy. It can be something that is real and real life has bumps and mountains and car wrecks and divorce. It has these things that are deemed bad, but are really typically just change. And if we can teach our kids to understand the change in their lives through reading and writing, then I think that we are going to create a generation that genuinely has a better understanding of life. Step two of writing like a cat is to graze feed. Unlike dogs, cats will stop eating when they're full, so you can just leave food in their bowls and they'll leave it alone until they're hungry again. This is called graze feeding or continuous feeding. The reason this is going to help our students' writing abilities is because it teaches us to come back to the source, the food bowl, whenever we need more inspiration or more information. There isn't any shame in doing more research or taking a nap until inspiration or hunger strike again. Speaking of naps, step three is to rest when you need it. Our brains can only hold so much information, which means that they can only dump so much information before completely running out of words. So take a break, go to the food bowl, get some water, cuddle with your human, and go at it again in an hour or so. I think this is an important point to mention that educators can also only hold so much information in their brains. They can only grade so many assignments or plan so many lessons before they get burned out for the day. It's better to work in bursts and chunks of time with brain breaks in between each activity than try and power through everything. In the podcast, Teaching to the Top, Michelle and Bridget discuss bundling your work together. Our brains work best when they aren't jumping from topic to topic, subject to subject. So if you have science projects to grade and science worksheets to grade, bundle those into the same chunk of time to get them done easier and faster. Then take a brain break, make some dinner, go to the gym, whatever, and after the break, grade those writing assignments. Chunking and bundling allow human brains to process what we're working on quicker. And in Teaching to the Top, Michelle and Bridget do discuss how the science behind it works. So I'm not going to get into that here. They did the research. I'm going to let them deliver the message. But they really tell you how, like, because it's on the same subject, you're using less brain power when you're switching from science to science instead of science to math or science to writing. So if you have multiple assignments of the same type, then sticking with that allows you to be more efficient in your work. And I think that's something that everyone should consider. Step four to writing like a cat is to be flexible and always land on your feet. Cats can fall from extremely high places and they always twist around and land on their feet, protecting them from getting hurt. In our writing, this means to find workarounds for when you're stuck. If you're stuck on a hard research topic or just plain old writer's block, there's always a way around, through, over, or under the issue at hand. Writer's block can strike us at any time. Figure out how to be flexible and get your creative juices flowing again can be hard at first, 
but eventually you'll find out what works best for you and your students. What I like to do when I'm stuck on a particular question or assignment is to go to the gym and jog a quick mile. And I really am not a fan of running, but what I like to do is I like to run with some music going that I know pretty well. So like I'll jog listening to the Hamilton soundtrack or a Taylor Swift album or the Jonas Brothers album. Like I'll jog listening to music that I know well enough that I can enjoy it without paying attention to it. So that allows my brain to think about um, like the assignment and it allows my brain to be free from sitting in front of my computer. Um, And in my gym, we have an indoor track that runs the perimeter of the third floor. And it seems that before I finish my mile, I'm ready to get back to work. Step five of writing like a cat is to get comfy. No one likes to be uncomfortable when they're working on a big assignment. I personally prefer to lesson plan at my kitchen table in my pajamas with a cup of coffee and some non-lyrical music playing. I like listening to, like, if you use um, Apple Music, you can say, like, hey Siri, play focus music, and she will play a playlist based that's, like, mostly non-lyrical and it's kind of soothing and just background noise, and I really enjoy working with that. Um, My cat. Aladdin likes to curl up on my pillows for her daily naps because they're much comfier than the floor. She also likes to bask in the sun on the couch when I leave the windows open in the living room. Comfort is relative and you may have to try out a few different spots, outfits, and other variables to do your best work comfortably. Step six of riding like a cat is to take care of you. Cats are asleep for around 18 hours a day. And during the six hours they're awake, they're bathing for half of that. Imagine how relaxed we would all be if we could take a three-hour bath every day. While three-hour baths aren't good for our workloads or the environment, cats do have the self-care angle figured out. Anyone who has been on a plane knows that the flight attendants always tell you to put on your own oxygen mask before helping the people around you. And that is because if you don't have your mask on, you may become unconscious, and that could be a bigger problem than the one you were trying to solve. While writing, you have to take care of yourself first. If that means taking an hour or two each day to work on your dissertation or taking an hour to teach your students how to be better writers, the writer has to come first. The writer's oxygen mask has to be put on first. The last step to writing like a cat is to do it well. As any cat owner will tell you, if a cat is going to do something, it might as well be worth their time. A cat doesn't get up and walk around aimlessly. No. A cat will get up, walk right into the sunbeam, and curl up on the warm spot. Cats are very self-serving animals, and while we as humans cannot be as selfish as a feline, we can make sure that we are proud of the work that we are producing. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. That's not to say that we cannot produce a rough first draft or even a rough second draft, but it is saying that we need to take pride in our work and present the very best versions of ourselves and our writing. And that's something that we can teach our students, too. This week, I wanted to share a quick story with y'all about my first day observing in a classroom this semester. On the second Wednesday of the semester, I packed into my car at 6.15 a.m. to go to a school that was an hour away from my apartment. That's well and good. I can drive an hour, whatever. I made the drive the night before so I could clock it. It was easy. The night before driving the speed limit, it took me exactly one hour and four minutes. But in the morning, I went to the school, it took me an hour and 30 minutes. 
I could barely see far enough in front of my car to see that I was following a log truck across 50 miles of highway. It was really no big deal, but I really needed to be at the school by 8. I always try and be at least 15 minutes early, so 7.45 was the goal, but it didn't look like that was going to happen. I get to the school finally, and I ask the principal's secretary where I was supposed to sign in. Everything seems normal. I get to my cooperative teacher's classroom with a gift of school supplies I picked out for her, and she looked so confused. I had emailed her the week before, telling her I was coming, and she had replied, so I was confused too. We go through the typical Southern pleasantries when she asked me, what changed? I had zero clue what she was talking about, so obviously I asked her what she meant, at which point she told me that her principal told her that this morning, her observation student, that was me, was reassigned and that I wouldn't be coming at all. No one told me that I had been reassigned, but hey, they tell us to be flexible in the classroom, so why not be flexible in observation? I ask the principal if she knows where I'm supposed to be, and she tells me that she doesn't know, but that she'll go find out. So now I'm sitting in this classroom that I'm not supposed to be in, in a panic. My teacher is trying to give back all the school supplies that I gave her, and I told her, no, they're for you, they're for you. I got the bag and the tissue paper in Auburn colors because you graduated from Auburn, they're for you. She ended up giving me back my uh, flare tip pens, which, as any teacher will attest, are a classroom favorite. The principal comes back in and tells me that I'm 39 miles south of the school that I got changed to. The new school is only a 10-minute drive from my apartment, but since I was at the wrong school, I was 50 minutes away. Now panicked because my meeting was supposed to start in 10 minutes at the original school, I look for my placement coordinator. I <sighs> After I find her, she just looks at me with the most pity I've ever received and said, oh no, baby, you're not supposed to be here. You better get going. So I jump in my car and I'm taking all of these farm roads, a couple of dirt roads, some county roads, a state road. Eventually my cell service dropped and I finally wind up back on the main highway in my town. From there, I get on another country road and I'm booking it across the small town where my new school is located. My phone starts ringing. I don't recognize the number, but I was panicked, so I answered it anyway. Luckily, it was my new placement coordinator who was calling to check up on me because I was the only university observer who hadn't shown up yet. I was still 10 minutes from the school when she called, and I started to freak out again because I hate making bad first impressions, and I knew that crying on the phone with my coordinator and being late for her meeting wasn't a very good idea. She told me that the meeting was scheduled to start in 10 minutes, but that they would wait for me because it was so foggy out and she wanted me to be safe. I ended up passing my turn because I didn't see the road over the railroad tracks. So I ended up turning around and I sped up to the school. I get inside, drenched in a foggy haze, and my coordinator just gave me a big hug and pointed me to the nearest bathroom. When I was somewhat dry, we started the meeting and she reiterated how important it is to be flexible. I think that my first day observation story is a good lesson for anyone to remember that even the people who plan ahead and who are as type A as I am can't know everything and we can't plan everything out. And even once I knew where I was supposed to be, I still missed the turn because I literally could not see the road. And what matters is that I got to the school safe. I, my, my coordinator understood, my teacher understood, 
and everyone was super sweet about it. Um, everyone at the first school was very helpful. The second school was very understanding. They gave me like a plate of hot food to warm up because it was so gross out outside. And I think that being flexible and being okay, I mean, even though I was stressed, I was very stressed, I was crying because it was a situation that was out of my control that was making me look bad. Um, but once I got to the school, I was able to control my emotions. I dried off, we got the thing done. And I think that that really changed the day around. Like everyone was so sweet and everyone was so like giving me a towel to dry off with. And someone walked me to my car later that day with an umbrella because it had started raining. And it's really just having a good attitude in spite of everything else. Um, so I think that that's really what I took away from that first week in the classroom. Um, and that really wasn't even a classroom story. Thanks for tuning in to Turn to Your Teacher and Listen. If you have comments, questions, stories, or recommendations to share, you can email me at ttytalpod at gmail.com. Music by Kilo Kaz. Talk soon. Bye-bye.